Good morning, everyone. <laughs> when we left off last week, Joseph, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, had moved his entire family to Egypt, and his father Jacob, also known as Israel, had died. And with that, we finally ended the first book of the Bible. Now we're in the second book. You might be thinking that at this rate, that our Bible in a Year series is actually going to be a Bible in Five Years series, but don't worry, we're going to pick up the pace. In fact, you may want to buckle up because we'll be moving through a ton of action today. We're now in the book of Exodus, and many years have passed, and the Israelites have grown and multiplied in number. There's a new king in Egypt, and he doesn't have the favorable relationship with Joseph that one of the former kings did. So this new king, the Pharaoh, decides to put the Israelites to work as slaves for the Egyptians. But the Israelites keep growing and multiplying despite the harsh labor. So Pharaoh decides to have all the Hebrew baby boys killed. Hebrew is just the adjective used to describe the Israelites. You could even say that Pharaoh, Hebrew's trouble for the Hebrew baby boys. One of the Israelite mothers manages to come up with a plan for her baby boy. She made a basket and put her baby in it, and then she put the basket and the baby in the river. She had her daughter watch her baby brother from a distance. For some of us, this story can be so familiar that we forget the tragedy involved. Can you be, imagine being the mom giving up her baby, or the sister watching him and knowing he can't come home with her? It's awful. But then someone comes down the river, and it's Pharaoh's daughter. She finds the baby and hears him crying and takes pity on him. She names the baby Moses. And by a strange turn of events, Moses, who was condemned to death by Pharaoh's hand, is now being raised in Pharaoh's house as an Egyptian. However, Moses either always knows or at some point comes to know that he's a Hebrew because when he's grown up, he sees an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew and he kills the Egyptian. The next day, he sees two Hebrews fighting and he can't bear this either, so he asks them why they're hurting their fellow Hebrew. While the Hebrew men don't exactly take kindly to this guy raised by Egyptian royalty who now thinks he's the defender of the Hebrews, probably in part because they know that someone's gonna get blamed for killing that Egyptian overseer and they don't want it to be one of their own. Moses knows the word is out and he's in deep trouble. And he's right, because Grandpa Pharaoh now wants to kill him for what he's done. So he runs away and he settles in Midian. He has a wife, finds a wife, has some kids, and is living his best rural life. He could be on a reality TV show, City Boy Takes Country, because he's even got his own sheep. And it's all going well for him until one day he's out in the fields with those sheep and a bush lights on fire in front of him. Except when Moses looks closely, the bush isn't burning up at all. Then a voice starts speaking to him out of the bush and it's God speaking, calling his name, Moses, Moses. God tells Moses that he's heard the cries of his people in Egypt and that he cares deeply about their suffering and he wants to deliver them to their own land, one flowing with milk and honey. And then here's the kicker. God wants Moses to be the one to go and bring his people out of Egypt. But Moses says no. In fact, he tells God no multiple times. 
I don't get it. A chance to be a leader, take down the bad guy, help people. Imagine how great his resume would be after this. Though he says no multiple times, over the course of the conversation, God more or less convinces Moses to do the job. And one of the questions Moses asks God in preparation for the job is, what is your name? And God says, I am who I am, said as Yahweh in Hebrew. People much smarter than I am have written libraries about how to translate God's name and interpret what it means here. And all I can tell you is this, Unlike the Egyptian gods or other local gods whose names were connected to just the one domain of life that they had control over, God is letting Moses know he's much bigger than that. He can't and won't be bound to just one area of life because he has power and dominion over everything that exists. He's not merely the sun god, for example. He is, I am who I am. Now that he knows the name of God and has been sent on his task, Moses goes back to Egypt and joins forces with his brother Aaron, and they go to try and convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Interestingly enough, the request is that they go celebrate a festival to the God of Israel in the wilderness for a few days. It's not actually that they leave permanently. You may be familiar with this tactic. As a teenager, you tell your parents you wanna go on a two-day school trip to New York with your friends. And then once they've warmed up to the idea and they've agreed and signed the forms, you let them know it's actually a two-week trip and it's to Europe. <laughs> and as you can imagine, Pharaoh isn't too keen on letting go of the people he's enslaved for free labor and take off, he's not, yeah, keen on letting them take off for a few days. We're all familiar with that idea. So he says no. He also isn't too sure who this God, Yahweh, is, and so he says no for that reason, too. And though Pharaoh didn't know who Yahweh was at the time, he would soon know, because Moses and Aaron commence a duel of sorts between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the Egyptian gods. This duel uses a bunch of plagues to demonstrate to Pharaoh God's power so that he's convinced to let the people go. What sort of plagues, you ask? Well, God turns the river Nile into blood, plagues the country with a ton of frogs, then a ton of gnats, then a ton of flies, then all the livestock die, then everyone gets boils, and there's thunder and heavy hail, then there's a ton of locusts, then there's total darkness. Do you see why God can't just be the sun god? He's the I am. And isn't that a dramatic story of events? I don't have much time to get into all the plagues, so if you'd like to know more, then I invite you to read Exodus 7 through 11. So all those plagues happen, and then there's one more plague. Moses tells Pharaoh in chapter 11, right before the passage we read today, that for the 10th and final plague, the firstborn of all the Egyptians will die, including even the firstborn of their livestock, and that after that, he and the Israelites will, spoiler alert, leave Egypt, in fact, Pharaoh and the Egyptians will want them to leave. But then the story gets interrupted in chapter 12 with a long set of instructions about celebrating a festival, part of which was read for us by Kevin. They'll follow all these instructions for the first time before the final plague and before leaving Egypt. And then they'll follow these same instructions year after year to celebrate their deliverance. They'll have to sacrifice a lamb put some of the lamb's blood on their doorway, and eat hurriedly 
as if they're about to leave, because the first time they did it, they would be about to leave. When God saw the lamb's blood on the doorway, he would pass over the Israelites' houses, and their firstborn would, would be spared. Hence, the holiday was called Pass. You guys are good, Passover. It was called Passover. These instructions are all well and good for the first time that they needed to get out of Egypt, but the rest of the chapter that we didn't read has a bunch more verses on celebrating this yearly festival before the action actually continues. So why on earth does the story build and build and build to such a climactic moment, the worst and final plague before the Israelites finally get out of Egypt? to give instructions for a yearly festival. Church tradition holds that Moses wrote the book of Exodus. And I think that if Moses had taken what he had written of Exodus as a movie screenplay to some movie directors and producers, that they might be really intrigued by chapters one through 11. But chapter 12 would be the point where they say, sorry Moses, you were really getting somewhere, but try again another time. So why does Moses ruin his award-winning movie script? Beyond that, if you look at the instructions from our passage today and the ones that come right before our passage, they are very specific. Why does it matter if the bread is leavened or what type of herbs you eat? Why does it matter how you roast the lamb? The instructions also say that the Passover will happen every year at the start of the year and that it will go on for seven days. So I think we can also ask, why do they need to remember this event? Once they're out of Egypt, why do they have to keep reenacting the same meal and actions that got them out of Egypt? Well, I think we'll find out why pretty quickly if we look ahead in the story. It's because the Israelites forget. The Israelites are quick to forget what God has done for them. Later on in the story, we'll see how fast the Israelites forget what God has miraculously, miraculously done to bring them out of Egypt when they worry about the Egyptians coming after them and pursuing them, or when they complain about the lack of food and water in the wilderness. And this isn't just an Israelite problem. We too are quick to forget what God has done for us, quick to forget who God is, and quick to forget God's promises to us. And Moses anticipates this question of why the Israelites do all this and what they need to remember in the instructions themselves. He notes that when their children ask them, what does this cere ceremony mean to you? Or when they ask, why do all this? Or even, mom or dad, why do I have to eat unleavened bread for a week? Then you can tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when, we struck, when he struck down the Egyptians. Moses is already anticipating that people will be curious as to why they're observing this festival and that they'll need to remember their reason for doing so. That's why he interrupts the drama of action-packed events to insert some instructions for the Passover. It's to emphasize the importance of remembering. And this begs the question, what do we need to remember? I'm gonna suggest that there are two things we need to remember. The first is what God has done for us. We need to remember what God has done for us. For the Israelites, they needed to remember that God had performed miracle after miracle in getting them out of Egypt. He brought about plagues on their oppressors, and in his mercy, he had passed over their firstborns and brought about a final plague that let the Israelites leave Egypt. 
In fact, the Israelites had to leave so fast that they could only take unleavened bread with them. There wasn't any time to let the bread rise. Unfortunately, at this time in history, they couldn't just go to the nearest McDonald's and get some fast food on their way out. Oh wait, I'm sorry, Taco Bell. They couldn't just go to the nearest Taco Bell and get some fast food to go. Once the Israelites left Egypt, the miracles didn't stop there. On their journey away from Egypt, Pharaoh started regretting his decision to let the Israelites leave. So he and his army decide to pursue them. As the Egyptians catch up to the Israelites, the Israelites are caught with the Egyptians on one side and the Red Sea on the other. The Israelites start to panic, but Moses tells them, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. God divides the water into two, and the Israelites walk free on dry ground. Wow, I mean, this is an amazing miracle. So when someone later asked the Israelites, what does this Passover ceremony mean to you? They could say that it reminds them of God's saving acts on their behalf, including so much more than just the final plague. After they cross the Red Sea, the Israelites go on to wander in the wilderness for about 40 years. I'm gonna try my best and make sure the sermon doesn't go that long. Now before all these amazing events happened and they left Egypt, the Israelites were enslaved. They were treated harshly and they did not have the freedom to determine what they wanted to do with their lives or to govern themselves as a people group. And as we continue our journey this year through the Bible, through the story with a capital S, we will hear about Israel as a nation. This Exodus story shows how they got out of slavery so that they could later become that nation. And earlier in the story, we heard about when God made a covenant with Abraham and promised him that his descendants would become this same great nation. And it may have appeared that the covenant no longer existed or had been forgotten when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. But early in the Exodus story, it said that God heard the Israelites groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Now the way it's translated here could seem to imply that at some point God forgot his covenant with Abraham and his descendants and now he's remembering that it exists. But God doesn't forget his people the way we often forget him. He knew who the Israelites were and what their struggles were just as he knows who we are and what our struggles are. The verse just means that at that time, God's remembering took the form of acting in a new way on the Israelites' behalf. So the Israelites needed to remember what, that God hears their groans and cries and has kept his covenant with them. And we need to remember that too. And the good news for us today is that if you're a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, then you are also in a covenant with God. You're a member of God's covenant community. Part of what being members of God's covenant community means is that God has promised to be our God and he always keeps up his end of the bargain. Michael spoke last week about how nobody or no thing can satisfy and, or strengthen us like God can. When we take time to remember God's saving acts on our behalf, we remind ourselves of what God can do for me, for you, and for us. There's something powerful about saying, God has helped me through something like this before. It enables us to say, I can get through this again. 
As members of God's covenant community, we remember what our God has done for us. Members remember. One more modern example of this is how the African-American church has historically embraced the Exodus story as a way to remember how they hoped God would be at work in their own lives. In a sermon he gave multiple times in his life, Martin Luther King Jr. related the struggles of black American Christians to the struggles of the Israelites in the Exodus story. He also used this theme repeatedly in his speaking and writing throughout his life. By placing themselves in the Exodus story, Martin Luther King Jr. and other black American Christians remembered God's actions for the Israelites. And remembering what God had done for the Israelites or what God had done in the past in their struggle for freedom gave black American Christians the strength to keep believing in what God could do to bring about their freedom in the future. Just as the Israelites did, or black Christians in America historically have done, we as members of God's covenant community remember what our God has done for us. However, it's also important to remember who our covenant-keeping God is. And that's the second thing we need to remember. We need to remember who God is. We need to remember who our God is. This is important because if Passover and crossing the Red Sea were just events that happened to the Israelites, that would be really great and all and worth remembering. But it wouldn't have much meaning on their lives once they were out of Egypt unless there was a person who had loved them and accomplished these wonders for them and was still with them. It's like when you open gifts on Christmas morning. It's really nice to get that gift you've always wanted, but it means even more when you get it from someone who deeply cares about you and is an ongoing part of your life. God is that someone for the Israelites and for us, demonstrated in how he gave the Israelites the gift of deliverance from Egypt but in the context of his ongoing covenant relationship with them. And if you remember, part of the Israelites' answer when someone asked them, what does this ceremony mean to you? Was that it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord because continually remembering the Passover only really makes sense if their deliverance had been accomplished by a partner who was in a covenant with them and who was still their deliverer. So the Israelites needed to remember who this God is that gave them the gift of deliverance. God had revealed himself at the burning bush as I am who I am. And then as he delivered his people from Egypt through the plagues, the Passover, and the Red Sea, he further revealed himself as the deliverer or liberator. He was committed to setting his people free. In the Passover, the Israelites remembered a merciful God who passed over the Israelites' houses and spared their firstborn because of the blood sacrifice of a lamb. And a couple thousand years later, God put on flesh and walked among people like you and people like me as a man named Jesus. And when John the Baptist saw him, he proclaimed, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it was true. Jesus was a better sacrificial lamb whose blood is able to cover all our sins. Unlike the lambs the Israelites sacrificed year after year, Jesus didn't have any blemishes or spots. He was perfect, and his sacrifice of his life on the cross was once for all. We talked earlier about remembering what God has done for us, and this is the greatest thing he's ever done for us. 
So who is this God who became a sacrificial lamb? He's a God who deeply loves us, shown by how he gave up his son to cover all our sins. As members of God's covenant community, we take time to remember who God is because we need to remember who we're in a covenant with. So how do we remember God? How can we take who God is and what God has done and make sure it's something we remember, something we know in our heads and understand in our hearts? I know you don't need me to tell you that the time we're living in is hard. And maybe for some of you, this time hasn't been as hard as for others, but sometimes our easier, happier times are when it's hardest to remember God. And plus with our phones and the 24 seven news and the countless distractions, it's hard to take time to remember God, to remember who he is and what he's done for us. But in a time like this, we all the more need to. There are many ways to remember God, but I think we can take a page out of the Israelites' book to get one of them. They reminded themselves of how God had brought them out of Egypt through songs. Plenty of the songs in the book of Psalms tell of the Exodus. You can look one up if you're curious. They recount God's saving power on behalf of the Israelites. And every week at church, whether in person or online, we get to sing about God and remind ourselves who he is and what he has done for us. There are, of course, a number of ways to remember God. You could write down what God has done for you or read about what God has done in the Bible or who he is in the Bible or share with someone about what God has done for you in the past. One of the main ways the Israelites remembered what God had done and who God had been to them was by celebrating Passover. They took time to tell again the story and to reenact it. Now the Bible tells us they didn't observe it as often as they should have. So I guess in that sense, they're still a lot like us. However, we too take the time, can take the time to recount what God has done for us. One of the ways in which we do this is communion which we'll be celebrating today. The last time that Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples, he instituted the Lord's Supper, also called communion. You may have heard it called the Eucharist, depending on what branch of the Christian tree you're familiar with. If you're a member of God's covenant community, or if today or in the future you become a member of God's covenant community, communion is a time for us to remember how Jesus gave up his life on the cross and how the blood he shed initiated a new covenant where all our sins are forgiven and we're given a new life in his name. God's covenant people had celebrated how in the Passover, God passed over their doors and spared their firstborns. And now God's covenant people today celebrate how God passes over our sins through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. After telling his disciples what communion is all about, Jesus even says, do this in remembrance of me. When we take communion or remember taking communion, we remember how all our sins are forgiven. We remember that God is a forgiving God, that he gives second chances, even thousandth chances. We remember that by sending his son to die for us on the cross, that he deeply loves us. Since God has brought us in as members of his covenant community, we are people who remember God. A practice like communion helps us look back at what God has done, 
so we can face our present circumstances with the confidence that the same God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt and who gave his one and only son to save us is the same God who is with us today. When someone asks us, what does this communion celebration mean to you? We can say, we do this in remembrance of the Lord who passed over our sins and saved us. My question for you as we close today is what would it look like for you to take time and remember who God is and remember what he has done for you? As you think about that, I will give you a chance to talk to God in prayer and then I will close us in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for coming to earth so that you can pass over our sins through the death and resurrection of your son. We thank you for the marvelous works you've done in the Bible and in our own lives and the lives of people we know. Help us to remember them. We thank you for who you are and who you've been to us. Help us to remember you. As we take communion today, we're reminded how you forgive all our sins, all the things we know we've done wrong through your son and that you are a forgiving God. Help us as we go throughout the week and as we live our lives to take time to remember who you are and remember what you've done so that we can be a people who show the world how good our God is. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.